In less than 48 hours, training camp will officially be underway for the Seahawks. What should you be watching on the offensive side of the football? Rob Rang and I are going to be diving into several key storylines for a high-powered offense heading into camp on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined here during training camp opening week here on Monday, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s, whether you're listening nearby in Port Orchard or you're listening down in Texas in Waco, Baylor country. We greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. It is finally here, Rob. We are less than two days away from the first practice for the Seahawks to open training camp at the VMAC. We're going to be breaking down some key storylines on offense. We'll be tackling your Monday mailbag questions, and we'll be ranking the competitions upcoming on the offensive side of the football. Jam-packed episode is football. Get set to return here in the next couple of days. So let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Heading into the 2023 season, most people expect the Seahawks to have one of the more high-powered offenses in football, and it's understandable why. They've got their quarterback, Geno Smith, coming back. They've got a stud receiving group, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, now Jackson Smith and Jigba. They've got two really good running backs they invested high draft picks in. This is a group that is loaded at the skill positions. They've got some good young talent, the offensive line. So there might not be quite as many question marks heading into training camp. And yet at the same time, Rob, there are plenty of storylines that we're going to be looking at for this group to see whether or not they can reach the very high expectations that they have going into this season. Well, I have to argue with you a little bit on that, Corb. I think that there's every bit as many question marks this year as there were a year ago. It's just that a year ago, we were not expecting the season to end with some exclamation points. And that's exactly the situation that we find ourselves. We talked about this before. A year ago, there were not any expectations of Geno Smith. This year, of course, as the comeback player of the year, as a pro bowler, the biggest question that I have when it comes to the Seahawks is an entire unit would be at the quarterback position again can Geno Smith do it yet again and the the players that I've compared him to in terms of his career resurrection core but it would be Rich Gannon and Alex Smith and that to me is one of the most encouraging things about this is that there's of course very few quarterbacks who have uh, found themselves on the bench for a, a number of years and then had that comeback and that's exactly what Geno Smith did as well as Rich Gannon and Alex Smith and to me again the most encouraging thing about it is that Rich Gannon and Alex Smith did continue their stellar play after their breakout, you know, comeback, uh, you know, careers here. Um, they, Rich Gannon wound up going to the Pro Bowl a couple of different times after that. Alex Smith did the same. Both led their clubs back to the playoffs. So, again, if the, the biggest question is, can Geno Smith do the same thing again? I think that he not only can, I think that he could possibly improve. And Seahawks should be pretty excited about that possibility leapfrogging off that to me the biggest question going into training camp in this new season for the offense this directly impacts Geno Smith but how much better or is the line better at all 
with the changes that they're going to be making at center and right guard. We are guaranteed that they're going to be two new starters at those positions. Even Phil Haynes, who was on the roster the last four years, he has five starts his entire NFL career, and he started as a spot starter last year. He was not a guy that started many games for the Seahawks. So you're still getting a new starter replacing Gabe Jackson. And whether it's Brown or Oluwatimi at center, you're going to have somebody different with Austin Blythe now retired. So a lot of people, the narrative out there, and I would be included in this, I believe that they have more talent at those two positions. They have more upside clearly at those positions, especially with Anthony Bradford competing against Phil Haynes at right guard. But the real question boils down to how much better is the group in the short term Brown gives you a guy that has started more than 20 games at center the last two years. So he has some experience. He's played well in those starts. But Oluwatimi and Bradford, obviously coming from the college ranks, they haven't played any snaps in the NFL yet. And Phil Haynes, as I mentioned, has five starts in his entire career. He's flashed in platoon roles at right guard and even left guard, but we haven't seen him start consistently. So there's a lot of question marks there in terms of uncertainty. What are you going to get from that group? There may be more youth. There may be more upside, but that's really a question. How much better is that offensive line going to be? And so I am very excited to see those competitions play out in the trenches and what this line looks like with Charles Cross, Abraham Lucas being back for their second season, set to make a big jump. This could be a very solid offensive line, but there is a lot of uncertainty there compared to the rest of the positions on Seattle's roster offensively. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the things that I would kind of transition back. Again, if we're talking about Seattle offensively and in one of the units that has had some transition, you know, the running back and wide receiver positions definitely have both had some upgrades in terms of pure talent. I'm going to focus in at the wide receiver position just for a moment. And those of you watching on YouTube can see the picture of Jackson Smith and Jigba number 11 in the, you know, the, the, the classic Seattle blue and silver throwback uniforms. And I really think that the impact of Jackson Smith and Jigba might have on Seattle's receiving core could be absolutely spectacular core. But of course, a year ago, we saw the, the offensive and defensive rookie of the year uh, candidates, um, you know, really for Seattle, really kind of step up. I think that Jackson Smith and Jigba could do the exact same thing in terms of what Ken Walker did a year ago in terms of being a big play specialist, similar to Jareek Woolen, of course, on the defensive side of the ball. Again, a big play special with those six interceptions. I would not be surprised at all if Jackson Smith and Jigba winds up being the, the league's rookie leader when it comes to touchdowns. That, to me, is one of the real big question marks here is can Seattle get more bang for their buck, that number three wide receiver position? We've talked about this so many times. I think that Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be spectacular in that way. It is the purity of his routes, the way that he snatches the football out of his hands. He was not my top-rated wide receiver in this draft class. was actually the wide receiver who went one pick later, Quentin Johnston, from TCU went to the Los Angeles Chargers. I think that Johnston is a better fit for the Chargers because they need a guy over the top. The Seahawks need that kind of middle of the field kind of a guy, a route runner savant. And that's exactly what Jackson Smith and Jigba is. To me, that is, again, one of the biggest questions. Can JSN live up to all of this praise? Can he be that immediate impact player the Seahawks need? Again, if they can, then I think it's that much easier for Geno Smith to have the big second season as Seattle starters again if they have that big play from JSN and if they get the improved offensive line play that you mentioned a moment ago last but not least we got to save the best for last year I know the running back position it's been kind of a rough last week or so for the players that play that position but 
this directly could impact Geno Smith and Jackson Smith and Jigman in the receiving core because you've got Ken Walker the third, and now you have Zach Charbonnet. And there are so many questions out there about how the Seahawks are going to deploy these two second-round picks. And they've also got Kenny McIntosh and DJ Dallas. So there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of depth at that position. How does that impact Ken Walker III? Does this become a by-committee situation where Seattle goes with a hot hand? And Pete Carroll did that sometimes at USC when he had Lendale White and Reggie Bush. He had a couple other tandems there. Justin Fargus being part of one of those early in his time at USC where they rotated backs and they went with whoever got the hot hand. Are the Seahawks going to approach it that way, or is this still Ken Walker, the third's backfield week after week, and Zach Charbonnet is more just a change of pace runner? That's really going to be the big question for me. How do we see that backfield rotation, that stable of runners? How do we see the Seahawks deploy those guys, especially with the fact that Charbonnet and McIntosh are both coming in with really good pass-catching skills? And I think that just adds to the dynamic. You get guys that are really all around backs that can do a little bit of everything. And so this is going to be one of the more fun position groups to watch. Even if the running back position is being devalued by a lot of teams in the league, I can tell you one head coach that is not devaluing that position, and that is Pete Carroll. So I'm excited to see how this plays out. Does it more of a is it more of a by committee approach, or does it end up being it's canine and everybody else just kind of takes the scraps? And I think that's one of the more fascinating storylines that we don't know the answer for heading into the 2023 season. Coming up next, we're going to tackle your questions in our Monday mailbag segment. It's our last one before training camp, and we got some really fun ones that we're looking forward to answering. We'll get to those here in a moment on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. When I was a site manager, LinkedIn Jobs was my go-to to post writing positions to land top candidates, and they made the process easy and seamless. All you have to do is create your job post and then add your job and use the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash NFL. That's linkedin.com slash NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my coast in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there. For making Locked on Seahawks your first lesson five days a week, we greatly appreciate it. Everydayers, we're going to continue previewing training camp with some key defensive storylines tomorrow. And, of course, ranking defensive positional battles, some really fun discussion, and maybe some debate sprinkled in there as well. You won't want to miss it. Let's get to our Monday mailbag segment. Our first question here coming up for Rob, and this one coming off Twitter from Spaghetti105. I have not had lunch yet, so this is making me hungry. Who's the favorite for punt kick return responsibilities at this stage? Obviously, Rob, Godwin Iguibuque is not even on the roster, the guy that was the most impressive returner they had last year. So this really is a big question, Mark, and we're looking from the special teams aspect. Yeah, it's a huge question. Um, and uh, as you mentioned, Godwin Iguibuque was Seattle's flashiest kick returner a year ago. He was not Seattle's most productive kick returner. 
or their most productive punt return? That would be DJ Dallas. So the, the easy answer right here is just to say the incumbent. DJ Dallas was Seattle's, again, leading punt and kick returner a year ago. Kenny McIntosh, the rookie from Georgia, has some return experience. Zach Charbonnet does not. Um, if you look at the wide receivers on this roster, you can th throw out the, the conversation about Tyler Lockett. It's been three years since he's been a significant part of Seattle's return game. So that's yeah. not going to be the case. I, I do think that you have to look at some other kind of candidates. Um, you know, possibly a guy like Kate Johnson. He had some extensive uh, return experience early or in, in his college days. Um, but at the same time, I really think that this is really DJ Dallas. I think you're going to see uh, Kenny McIntosh have an opportunity there. Um, you know, this is going to be potentially the, excuse me, I should say, this last year, DJ Dallas was Seattle's fourth different punt returner, a leading punt returner in, in a row. So four years in a row now, they've had some type of transition. Again, I'm going to go with the incumbent in DJ Dallas. I do, as we talked about a moment ago, um, I think that the running back position is going to be one that we have really have to pay attention to a lot with those two rookies. But it's not just DJ Dallas and what he can do on third down as a receiver. It's what he can do on special teams. That's why I think that he still has a real good shot making this club. Our next question coming from Roger Veneau tweets, is it truly a possibility that Devin Witherspoon will be outside in regular formations but play inside in favor of Jackson playing outside in nickel formations? Have other teams done this? Have the Hawks done it? Or is it Reek, Spoon, and Bryant with Jackson and Brown in reserve? So that might seem like a loaded question here, but it's a really good one because from a Seattle standpoint under Pete Carroll, they have not done this. We never saw Richard Sherman slide inside to play the slot. And Shaquille Griffin, they didn't do that with him. They don't move their outside corners normally. They stick them at their one spot, and that's where they stay at. That's how Pete Carroll has preferred to do it. But they've never had a Devin Witherspoon come into their hands as a top-five pick, a guy that was a shutdown corner outside and inside last year, Illinois. And this is not one of those situations where – he played two snaps in the slot and gave up no receptions. He played extensive snaps inside, and Illinois moved him all around. He wanted to be on the best receiver, and they obliged because why wouldn't you as talented as this guy is? So I don't know if that's going to be enough to change Pete Carroll's mindset, but I could see this being something that is a real possibility because Mike Jackson's a good football player. They want to get him on the field some. You slide Witherspoon in. He's probably your best slot corner on your roster as a top five pick. And it gives you positional flexibility, schematic flexibility. So other teams do this. The Seahawks just typically have not. And under Pete Carroll, it's been very strict. We put you at right corner. That's where you're playing. You're not moving inside. Devin Witherspoon, though, is the type of elite rare talent, though, that could change the way that they run their defense. Next question for Rob coming from Chase Rydell 41. Speaking of DJ Dallas here, could Buffalo inquire about DJ Dallas with Hines done for the year? And Rob, I don't know if you saw this news today, but uh, Naheem Hines for the Buffalo Bills suffered a season-ending knee injury while he was out. He was standing on water skis and somebody hit him with a jet ski. Like it was a freak accident, injured his knee. He's done for the year. So now Buffalo's missing one of their top running backs. Yeah, and a dynamic player uh, in Hines. And so 
what goes without saying is obviously, um, you know, all thoughts, prayers, um, well wishes to Hines, his family, the Buffalo Bills and the organization. Getting back to the point of, of the question, I, I think the any club out there should be considering Seattle Seahawks when, if they have the need for running back. As, as we talked about, Seattle's got four legitimate running backs, um, you know, on this team. And, and they, you know, they may even be deeper than that. I, I'm curious to see some of the other, uh, you know, rookies this year and see what they can do because there's some intriguing, the, the kid from Toledo is intriguing. Um, but anyways, going back to, to DJ Dallas, I really think that DJ Dallas would be a, a beautiful fit in, in Buffalo in terms of his ability as a receiver out of the backfield. And again, as we talked about before with the special teams, and it's that special teams component is why I think that Seattle is going to be, is going to want to keep him just because they don't yet know what they have in Zach Charbonnet, who, like along with Devin Witherspoon, at least as of the time that we're recording this uh, podcast, are not yet signed. So that's something that we should mention at this point as well on the eve of training camp but i do think that dj dallas is a legitimate nfl back that is going to command some interest from other clubs if they have injuries as the buffalo bills unfortunately suffer our next question coming from hawk astrologer tweets what do you think our base defense looks like this year formation wise with jamal adams and jordan brooks both healthy near 100 honestly i know this is going to be a boring answer but it's not going to look any different than what they did going out in week one last year aside from maybe the corner positions we just talked about maybe devin witherspoon slides into the slot when and they go into nickel and dime sets and maybe that leads to one of the other guys being off the field but i don't think that's going to directly impact maybe jordan brooks i mean if bobby wagner is going to be on the field all the time if you have dime sets with one linebacker jordan brooks might be the one subbing out even if he's fully recovered from an acl tear but in terms of the base formations the three four defense you're still going to have jordan brooks and bobby wagner in the middle jamal adams is still going to be your strong safety you can move him up as an extra linebacker in your nickel and dime sets i don't see it being any different in terms of schematics but if Jamal Adams is not out, that's where we or Jamal Adams is not available, excuse me, then that is where I think you could see some significant changes in the way that they handle things. Because as good of a player as Julian Love is, he's not the same style player as Jamal Adams. And Seattle, unfortunately, has experience now adapting their scheme without Adams with all the games he's missed. So it shouldn't be as big of a surprise if they have to prepare for that with Julian Love as your strong safety. But I don't anticipate, I think where they were at last year before Adams got hurt in that season opener, I really believe that Clint Hurt had a great plan for how he was going to use Jamal Adams. And Jordan Brooks, they're going to do what they've done with him his first three years once he's healthy. He's going to be in there making a bunch of tackles. He's going to be dropping back in coverage. They're going to be playing their 3-4 scheme in base. It's not going to be anything different. Really, the question here is what things would look like if one or both those guys are not out there in week one and that might create some significant adaptations that Hurd and company are going to have to make on defense. Our last question for Rob here. Bryson speaks on YouTube. What do you make of Seattle bringing in multiple USFL linebackers for workouts on Monday? Does that mean that Brooks is starting on the pup list? I do think that this is a really good question, Rob, especially when you consider that they had four players from the USFL that were out there for tryouts today and three of them were linebackers including the league's defensive player of the year 
Yeah, and that's the thing is that I think that you are just kind of kicking the can on some really talented players in the USFL. Um, I, I think that it's a, a sign that possibly Seattle uh, is a little bit worried about Jordan Brooks. I don't think that we should be surprised by that, considering when he suffered the injury. I mean, it would be you know remarkable if Jordan Brooks was all the way back. I, I fully expect him to start the training camp process on that, if not on the pup list officially, then, then certainly not ready to to participate fully for training camp. So I think the Seattle is just kind of doing their due diligence. I, I think that this is to be expected. There is just about every NFL team in the league is uh, holding some type of workouts for players uh, on the eve of training camp. That's just kind of the nature of business and how you kind of get rolling. Um, so I, I think that it's a sign that possibly Jordan Brooks is not ready, but I also don't think that it's written in stone. And I don't think that one necessarily has that much to do with the other. I think the Seahawks know Brooks is they're going to take the long-term approach with Jordan Brooks because they recognize what a talented player that he is this could be about Brooks as you mentioned but I just want to make this clear USFL just ended their season so these guys have just been relieved from their contracts to be able to go after an NFL job so it's not like this is a situation where these guys have been waiting for weeks and the Seahawks are now taking a look at them Frank Ginda who was the defensive player of the year in the USFL and he actually has been in the NFL with a few teams former San Jose State linebacker he is one of the guys they brought in today. And it's the first opportunity they have to bring in these players. So why not take a look at a guy like that who has been really good in a secondary league? Maybe he can play special teams for you. Maybe he can play some defensive snaps in training camp while you're easing Brooks back in. Even when he's off the pup list, they're not going to be giving him a full workload off the bat. So this is definitely something where it could be related to Brooks going to the pup, but it also could be, hey, we have one open roster spot right now. Let's get a little more depth there so that we can truly ease him back onto the field into a full-time role as we're looking to get him to by week one. And our last question here from PJ Diddy, 2435. Who could you see being this year's Kate Johnson as a player who was on the practice squad last year and could contribute this year? That's kind of a difficult question to answer because a lot of the guys on Seattle's practice squad last year got at least one or two games where they were able to play on the regular roster. And so maybe I'm giving myself too many liberties here, but I'm going to say Joshua Oniogo, the outside linebacker, the pass rusher, who right now would be seventh on the depth chart. He's probably not going to be making this football team without injuries in front of him, but he is a player that has a high motor. He's got good athleticism off the edge. I liked what I saw in the one game he played in last year. And all it would take is one guy getting banged up and you elevate him from the practice squad. This is a guy that I think can play on Sundays. And Kate Johnson had a couple big catches in a playoff clinching game last year. I could see Oniogu coming into a game late in the season when the Seahawks have the playoffs on the line and getting a sack or at least getting a few quarterback pressures. So that would be my selection. The guy that only played in one game last year that I do think has the talent to play on Sundays if the opportunity is presented to him. You are listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. It's your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my coast in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s. We greatly appreciate you making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. For every day or tomorrow, it's all about defense. We'll look at some key storylines. There's certainly some big question marks on that side of the football going into training camp. And we'll finish up our all-underrated squads tomorrow as well. Really looking forward to that. It's going to be a jam-packed episode. Make sure that you are listening in. Let's get back to preparations for training camp. It's hard to believe, but we are less than 48 hours away from the first practice kicking off at the VMAC. 
We discussed some key storylines on offense earlier in the show, and I want to take more of a micro look now heading into training camp at the competitions that matter most. And maybe it's a little different on defense where you have a lot more new faces, but there are still certainly plenty of competitions worth looking at on the offensive side of the football. And I think you and I are in agreement, Rob, that one stands above the rest right now heading into camp in terms of the most intrigue and really the most impact on where this football team can go in 2023. Yeah, at least in my opinion, it's center. Uh, I think it's center and then you have the conversation. I think you could put it center and then there'd be a significant gap before we start talking about the other positions on my list. My top five camp battles, um, I would list them in, in order as center, then right guard, running back, receiver, and then tight end. Real quick with, with center, obviously we know the the names, you know, Oluwatimi and Evan Brown being the the ones that uh, that everybody is going to focus in on. Um, and, and I think that with Oluwatimi, you, you want him to be the starter. You want him to earn this job. And as the Remington Award winner and, and all of that, the fact that he was a, a four-year starter um, at college in, in the pro readiness, all of those things, check every box. He has the size you're looking for. Everything makes sense, except the fact that he actually has to do it now. And so that's what's going to be fascinating here. I we talked about before, I really think that if this is an even competition, then you go with the veteran Evan Brown, even though he is new to Seattle system before as well, obviously, having spent the last couple of years in Detroit. At the same time, he is, as a veteran, a little bit more polished, or at least should be. That's the expectations. But if the rookie does jump ahead, then that's what you're hoping for because you want that rookie contract for the next four years and really finally solidify the center position, which has been basically an eyesore ever since uh, you know the Seahawks decided to, to trade away Max Unger all those years ago. So to me, that's where I would start off with. I think whatever happens with Evan Brown, if he is the starter at center, if he is not the starter at center, then that is going to impact at the right guard position. Um, but before I start talking about all those, I want to make sure I, I pass the mic off to you for a second, Corbin. Any, any thoughts in case you didn't agree with me as far as center being the top position of concern? Well, I do agree with you. And I know sometimes our listeners say, why don't you guys disagree more? But, uh, you know, this is not a situation where this is Skip Bayless screaming in a cloud. That's not how we do things here <laughs> on Locked on Seahawks. And we have, what? Our, what? Our, <laughs> yeah, we have our disagreements, but... I'm sure there will be some later on the list, but for me, center's got to top the list off as well, because this is to me the biggest hole that is on Seattle's roster. When you're looking the last six or seven years, Justin Britt had a couple solid years as a starter, but they just have not been able to come close to replacing Max Unger. In the last few years, you've had Ethan Posick, you had Kyle Fuller starting some games. And then last year you had Austin Blythe. This is a position that they have not been able to find a long-term starter, and it has reared its ugly head. Last year in the second half of the season, I think one of the big reasons this offense kind of sputtered for a while, I felt like Austin Blythe really struggled in the second half of the season last year. And I don't want to pick on one particular player, but the run game in particular, you could just tell teams were exposing him in there under 300 pounds, just not a physically imposing enough guy to be able to set the line of scrimmage. And that's why I think this position is so crucial for the Seahawks, whether it ends up being Evan Brown or Oluwatimi. We've talked about this a few other times during the offseason. What really excites me about this is this is not one of those cases where Seattle signed a 30-something-year-old center that's been a journeyman that hasn't started many games, but he's played in a bunch of NFL snaps, so we're going to give him a chance to compete against the rookie. No, they went out and signed a guy who's in the prime of his career. Evan Brown's 26. 
And he has been fantastic in the games he has started at center the last two years for the Lions. So you're talking about a guy that still could be a long-term starter. This is not a, well, we've got an aging bridge guy here. Evan Brown is not an aging bridge guy. If Oluwatimi beats him out, excellent. If not, Evan Brown could still be your guy. He could finally be that foundational center for you. So that's what really excites me. I just love the matchup there. I, you have two younger players that I think both have enough upside to start in this league. And that just makes it a really captivating situation. As for the rest of my rankings, where I would differ from you a little bit, I actually have third receiver as number two on my list. And I know some of our listeners are going to bat an eye a little bit, like Jackson Smith and Jigba is the 20th overall pick. He's going to be the number three receiver. To echo the words of Lee Corso, not so fast, my friends. I think that Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to win that job, but don't discount D. Eskridge, who finally had a healthy offseason program. We know the explosiveness, the playmaking ability, and he can do some things that Jackson Smith and Jigba, quite frankly, can't. He is more of a downfield threat. He's more explosive with the football in his hands. We just haven't gotten to see very much of it here the first two years because he's had injuries. If he's healthy, I still think that is going to be a very fascinating competition. And then I'd have right guard at a very close number three, because I do think Phil Haynes has a significant lead in that competition going into camp. Whereas I feel like Evan Brown's got Oluwatimi already riding his bumper and he's ready to compete. I think that there's more of a gap at right guard, but it could still end up turning into a competition, especially if Oluwatimi wins the center job and suddenly Brown is thrown into the right guard mix. Then we might have to revisit this because there are some variables there. But for now, that's number three on my list in terms of intrigue going into camp. Yeah, it's because it is a little bit cloudy at that right guard position. Why it was my number two uh, competition here to really keep an eye on. Um, I, like you, I really think that Phil Haynes, the incumbent, is likely to kind of win that right guard position. Anthony Bradford, I love the talent, um, but that's a big, big man that only had the one year of starting experience at LSU. Uh, 6'5", 345 pounds is what the Seahawks were listing him as. Uh, he was 327, I think 330 pounds, excuse excuse me, um, at the combine. So bigger than he was before. And that can be a sign, a good, a sign of good things that can be a sign of bad things too. So I'm, I think that's really interesting kind of competition. You mentioned the possibility of Evan Brown sliding over there again, at that right guard position to me, that's a really, really interesting one. And then of course, if it is Phil Haynes, he's only on a one year deal at this point. So, you know, how well does he play? If he is your starter, does he play well enough to justify Seattle bringing him back on a long-term extension, of course, on the opposite side of that uh you know you have damian lewis who also is in the final year of his rookie deal so the guard position is definitely going to be one to be paying attention to i'll, I'll kind of uh push back a little bit i'm not going to start throwing things at the screen and yelling at you like uh, you know <laughs> so, some of those other uh talk shows out there or conversation shows but um you know I, I would argue that the third wide receiver position that it really is should be Jackson Smith and Jig, but that, that DS which does have to make a push. But I the reason why I, I have that list a little, little bit lower is because I do think it's pretty clear who the top two are, obviously, in Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. I think it's gonna be Jackson Smith and Jigba. And then 
after that, DS, to me, what's fascinating is I, I'm curious just as much about who's going to be Seattle's fifth or sixth wide receivers as much as the number three wide receivers. For me, just real quick, unprompted, I'm just going to say the names Derek Young and Kay Johnson. I think those are the, the, the top six, along with the other four that we've already mentioned. And I want to see if anybody else is able to shake those two, which would have been my answer, at least on offense, to the question asked before about who were some guys that are in the practice squad a year ago that might be able to step up. I know Kay Johnson did that. Derek Young did that a little bit a year ago. I think they might be able to do it even more this upcoming season. So to me, that's fascinating. The running back position, as I talked about before, I, I think is really interested. I, I these. I just think it's going to be difficult for Seattle to keep four running backs, but I think that all four of Seattle's top running backs, and again, there might be even more than that, they're legitimate NFL players, but at minimum, DJ Dallas, and then what I like to call the three young guys, the two rookies, of course, and then, uh, of course, Ken Walker the third, I think are absolutely NFL guys. So I'm just kind of curious to see how that shakes out. What does Zach Charbonnet, assume he signs, what does he show? Can he be that touchdown maven at the, at the you know, in, in the end zone or in the red zone, excuse me, can Kenny McIntosh really challenge DJ Dallas to be their third down back, to be their, their return guy? Uh, that to me is fascinating. And then the tight end position, I, I'm just fascinated the way it gets all divvied up because I think, again, like at running back, Seattle has one of the deeper position rooms in all of the NFL. And I think that they, that John Schneider might be keeping his ear on the phone to see if there's any other NFL teams out there that are feeling pretty needy and maybe a little bit desperate, willing to, throw Seattle, uh, you know, a late round draft pick for one of the veterans, quality veterans they already have on the roster. I'm glad you mentioned the third down running back because that is actually specifically what I had fourth on my list, not the running back position, the third down competition, because Travis Homer is now in Chicago and he got most of the third down reps when he was healthy last season. DJ Dallas showed last year that he's capable of doing it. He's improved in pass protection, a former receiver. So he's got soft hands, But Kenny McIntosh just brings a different dynamic to that position. He actually has played out of the slot. He's played as an outside receiver. And I know the testing doesn't show it, but on film, you see a guy that's got explosiveness with the football in his hands. And he finished second in the country for running backs and receiving yards last year. Georgia used him as a big part of their passing game. For a little guy, he can pass protect too. So I think those two guys, and you could throw Charbonnet in there too. Charbonnet is a solid pass protector when he's had his opportunities. Didn't do it a lot at UCLA, but he also had 30-plus reception last year. Really soft hands. Maybe not as versatile in terms of moving him around the formation as what Kenny McIntosh or even DJ Dallas is, but all three of those guys could be in the mix for that third down role. Maybe even Brian Kobach, as you mentioned, coming out of Toledo. He's a hell of an athlete, and he can catch the football a little bit. So – that third down role is going to be a really fun competition to watch. And I think special teams is going to bear that decision as well, where all these guys fit in in that regard. And I've got tight ends at last too, just because as you mentioned, giving out the reps, you got three really good veteran tight ends. In particular, I saw late last year when Will Disley was out for a few games, Colby Parkinson got more snaps than what Noah Fant did the last three games. I'm wondering if that's something that continues into this year because Parkinson made such a big leap as a blocker last year. And Fant did too, but Parkinson's, it was especially noticeable. noticeable. If he's better as an inline blocker, that's going to cater to more opportunities for him to play. And we know that they want to get him involved in the red zone. So that competition, those guys are going to play. All three of the tight ends are going to play. The question is, who's going to get the most snaps? And so that's where the competition boils down. It's not for a roster spot. It's who's going to be on the field the most in this offense 
where I don't think they're going to be doing as much 13 personnel this year because, oh, by the way, we drafted a really good receiver in the first round. They're going to be playing a lot more 11 personnel and 12 personnel. That's going to cut into the snaps. So who gets those snaps? You earn those in training camp. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast to ensure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up tomorrow, we'll be one day away from the start of training camp. We'll be diving into key defensive storylines, ranking defensive competition, some really tasty position battles coming up on that side of the football, heading into the 2023 season, and much more. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Monday, and thanks for listening. Listening in. Go Hawks.